Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Aquademia podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Maddie Cassidy. And I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And today we are excited to bring you an episode with our guest Kate Tompkins from SeaShare. This is a really cool episode, Sean. Yeah, Kate drove like four hours to get here to, yeah. to sit down and talk with us. So Very, very generous. Pretty cool. And um, it was a great conversation. We talked about all the great things that SeaShare does and what it does for the seafood industry, what it does as just a sustainable organization in general. Yeah, they're really they're really doing things that are actually making a difference. I mean, they're feeding people. What SeaShare does is they take food from primarily uh, wild fisheries and then donated from processing plants or other seafood companies, and they are just shelling it out to food banks all over the, the country, all over the U.S. So, you know, Kate came on and talked about where the fish comes from, what kind of connections they have with these fisheries and other processors and delivery companies and she's basically one of three people in this entire company that makes, makes it, it happen makes it happen all around the country which is pretty cool so yeah it's a really inspiring story because you can cut the the impact is pretty tangible so yeah yeah she's it's interesting because you know you know exactly what you're doing for people but she said because of the nature of how the whole system works, you don't get really solid numbers on that kind of stuff. So you can't quantify what your what the impact is that you're having. But you know that it's good because you're feeding millions of people every year. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here's our interview with Kate. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, everybody. So we are sitting down with Kate Tompkins of SeaShare this week. And Kate, you've never been on a podcast before, right? I've never been on a podcast. That's true. So we are so excited to have you, especially for that reason. And um, so, Kate, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at SeaShare, maybe a little bit about what SeaShare does just to get it started. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm the development director at SeaShare, and I've been with SeaShare for about four years. SeaShare uh, is based out on Bainbridge Island in Washington State. And uh, the mission of SeaShare is to work with the whole seafood industry, the U.S. seafood industry, to send seafood to food banks and feeding centers across the country. I live in Maine currently, and I work remotely for SeaShare. And I do a little, I wear a lot of hats. I'm the development director, which means I'm responsible for bringing in some, most of the money, some of the money. You should see all of her hats stacked up to the ceiling in the studio right now. Um, but I also do marketing, PR, various other things. And one thing I've been involved in this year is a, a program called the Future Leaders, which is part of the National Fisheries Institute. Where's the home base for SeaShare? It's on Bainbridge Island, Washington, near Seattle. So you're bi-coastal. We are bi-coastal. <laughs> we're an office of three. Um, so we're bi-coastal and try something. <laughs> I'm really trying a to think of a clever word. I, 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 a bi-coastal I, trifecta. Yeah, something like Ooh. that. <laughs> I love the word trifecta. I try to use it whenever I can. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's, that's 
respectable. <laughs> so where um, where does Seashare get all of the materials and seafood f- to give to these food banks? Yeah, so we have been around for about 25 years, and um, most of our seafood currently comes from Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes either from the Pollock fishery up in Alaska or sam- where we get salmon and halibut um, as bycatch through the Pollock fishery, as well as other donations of salmon, halibut, cod, etc. from Alaska. Um, we do get some some donations from other parts of the country, but because of the, the quantity of catch up in Alaska, it's really, that's our bread and butter, so mm. to speak. So it's mostly like bycatch that you're using, So Seashare right? started 25 years ago by a group of fish, was started 25 years ago by a group of fishermen who were working on fishing boats in the Bering Sea and catching pollock. And at that time, any bycatch, including salmon and halibut, some some premium species, had to be thrown back in the water. Is that because they didn't have licenses to catch those fish or? Because of the way the fishery was set up, it was just pollock. Anything else got thrown back. Hmm. Those species were considered prohibited species. You could not keep those. Um, Do you know if that was for like conservation reasons? I actually don't know the science behind that in 1994. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, but so the, found- the founder of our organization, Tuck Donnelly, saw that and was really upset by it and thought, wow, this is some of the best seafood protein you can get in the world. And how can we be throwing away at that time what was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds or millions? Um, wow. So he he went to work with a, with a group of fishermen to advocate with, with the federal government to have the rules changed so that that bycatch of salmon and halibut specifically could be retained by the fishing boats and donated to hung- for hunger relief. So the rules changed and fishermen could then retain that stuff. They could never make a profit off of it. It always had to be donated into the, into the food bank system. Wow. And so that's how Seashare was born. As an organization, a nonprofit organization to manage that bycatch and getting it from, from the boat to the dock processed and then out into the food, national food bank system through Feeding America. Wow. So it goes all over the country. So it goes all over the country. So that's how it started. Then the fish of the pollock fishery became much more efficient over the years, which meant that they were catching a lot less bycatch, mm-hmm. which is good. But for seashore, it meant, oh, we have to diversify our, our stream a bit on where we're, where we're getting seafood. I mean, we're, protein is a really difficult source for food banks to access. Um, and fish protein is almost unheard of in food banks. Because they um, tend to not get perishable food, correct? That's... They tend to not get perishable. And most of what we ha- what we send is either canned or frozen, mainly frozen. But protein's expensive. It's really expensive. And seafood's really expensive on top of that. So it just it wasn't on the radar at all until SeaShare came on the scene. Um, and we were able to build relationships with fishing companies, with government, kind of with processors, logistics companies that have enabled us to help those fishermen in the Bering Sea, Gulf of Alaska, move those fish all the way down to a food bank in South Carolina. So that's that's the crux of, of sort of where we got started. But 
when the fishery became more efficient and there were less, there was less bycatch being caught, we have really had to expand and, th- and think, okay, well, what else can we include? We're not just a bycatch organization. Um, we really have to, to expand our horizons here and see what we could, what we can access, what else we can access. So we started asking our, our neighbors or our, our partners, you know, what else can you guys give? And so then we started getting donations of, say, canned salmon or the Pollock fishery, the Pollock fleet. Um, gives us a million servings worth of pollock every year as part of our as part of the sea share program. It's a lot of fish. Um, that is a lot <laughs> of fish. So in total, we're, our goal every year is to send about two million pounds or eight million servings of seafood to food banks and feeding centers across the U.S. Wow. wow. It's not bad for an office of three people. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Seriously. So we, and we don't have any of our own boats obviously we don't have our own storage we don't have our own logistics we really are the framework for making connecting the dots between those those like various a giant groups. coordinating company yeah yeah <laughs> and we've been around long enough so With lots of hats we have friends you know in good places and we can call up and say hey can you put this container on a barge for us you know hey can you can you process this for us and you know in the next couple months when you guys have a chance so everyone gives as much as they can. Sometimes we have to pay a little bit for, say, processing. Um, so then we do fundraising to pay for that and, and to pay for all the other sort of costs of, of running it. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions was who cost. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. because processing fish and yeah. shipment and, con- and containers and things of that nature cost, have, has a cost. So. so our partners are so generous and so whenever possible – give it to us at no or the lowest possible cost mm-hmm. um, they can afford in that moment. So we get a lot of free or almost free processing every year and also logistics support. So yeah. it's it's quite amazing. And then we, we feed into the Feeding America food bank system, which is, I don't know if you know much about Feeding America, but it's the national sort of food bank network that Almost every major food bank in the country is under that Feeding America umbrella, mm-hmm. um, which allows us to access food banks in every on all 50 states and to know that they've met certain sort of safe handling procedures and criteria for handling something like fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that they probably don't typically see a lot of in their specific handling. Yeah, outside ma- of keeping like it frozen. Or, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we actually we don't see a lot of canned tuna getting donated, unfortunately, because that's a very accessible way for many people to to yeah. You know. You'd yeah. think that would be very common, and it's cheap. I mean, it's like right. sometimes yeah. it's like twenty five cents a can, fifty cents a can. Like mm. you think that would be where an do easy you shop? What's that? <laughs> like, where do you shop? Market basket. Man. <laughs> I think You're like three for a dollar. In so. some ways, we're seen as like an Alaska centric organization even though okay. we try not to be. Yeah. Well, it's just kind of where the volumes are coming We're from. We're a global company, but all you know, majority of our listeners are in the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just that's yeah. how it is, you know. Yeah. I think it's really admirable and meaningful that when Seashare realized that the bycatch was declining, that there was this pivot and it's not you it's kind of like a realization where okay, we're not just a bycatch organization, we're a sustainability organization. And how can we help make the seafood industry more sustainable? And where can we be of use? Where can we help? And I think that that's super meaningful because there are so many companies out there, not even just in the seafood space, that fail to see their larger role in society 
where like oil companies and where they're polluting the earth and all this stuff with climate change, they're a huge driver of it. And if they just realized that they're not just an oil company, they're an energy company, they could get into solar and they could make money from that too and then also help the planet. And I think that if people would have that vision that SeaShare has of like, okay, that we do this one specific thing, but we also serve the greater purpose of this ideal that we're working towards. I think we live in a much better world. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love that. I think I that's mean, fantastic. We really, we really look at it from the angle of there are over 40 million Americans who struggle with hunger every year. And that number has not gone down to pre-recession levels yet. So it's wow. higher now than it was in 2006, basically. Still, it's gone down a little bit over the last few years, but not drastically. Yep. And so it's it's a chronic issue, but we do feel that a lot of people are just going to food banks for a couple months between jobs or between, you know, in these tough spots because people don't love going to food banks. It's, you know, it's, well, it's a hit it's, on your pride. It's really a hit on your pride. And food banks have come a long way and are, there is a lot, a lot less stigma and there's a lot better quality food in food banks now. There's been a real focus on fresh food and obviously better better protein sources with seafood in, in the in the mix. But we see it as, you know, we're helping the seafood industry as well sort of attract new customers. You know, someone might get seafood at a, at a food bank and try something for, for the first time and really love it. And then when they're in a position to be back at the supermarket making those choices about what they're putting in their basket, they maybe they'll choose seafood. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's opening up the seafood market um, a lot more for people who maybe otherwise wouldn't be wouldn't be buying seafood, wouldn't see the value of it as much. So I've never thought of that. That's super interesting. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And also in terms of reducing food waste, I mean, I think the seafood industry has come a long way in really squeezing out every drop of fish oil and mm-hmm. every possible product they can. Um, and, you know, as little as possible ends up as waste or in dog food or what, or cat food. <laughs> but we're, we're in a position where, you know, if, if a company has canned salmon that's about to expire and, you know, in maybe two or three months or something, they can come to us and say, we've got this. We don't really know what to do with it. We're not going to be able to sell it in time. Can you guys take it? And of course we can. Um, and we can get it out the door, you know, into a food bank in, in a couple of days. So does SeaShare have, this is more of a logistical question, but so if you're getting this seafood from all over the country, I mean, you said there's only three of you. So how how does it work if you're getting it from all these different sources and how do you coordinate getting the sources to bring it to the food banks and how does that work? Yeah, so two million pounds is a lot. It sounds like a lot, but a lot of our donations are in the truckload truckload level. So a truckload is 35 to 40,000 pounds a pop. So that sort of cuts down. It's not a million different little trips to a food bank. It's it's a core, I don't know, probably, I don't, I'm going to have to look this up, but I think it's forty between 40 and 60 specific donations per year you know, varying on whatever is available per in that year and and the geography of the of the donation. So if someone calls us up and says, We've got fresh tilapia 
in Miami and it's going to expire in five days. Can you guys help us? So we call up the closest food bank we know in Miami or somewhere else in Florida, but probably in Miami. And we connect them um, and have them coordinate the pickup. So most food banks will do their own pickups. And then Feeding America also provides support for, for trucking, for pickup. In general, if something's sitting in Seattle and is being in, is ready for donation, we're going to keep it pretty local. We're not going to send stuff that's in Seattle down to Arkansas or, you know, stuff that's in New York City to Arizona. Like we'll we'll keep the stuff in New York City in the greater like New York, New England region and same with Seattle, we'd keep it in the Northwest. What about reaching food banks that are like in the Midwest or in the center of the country? Yeah. So the Fe- Feeding America has a system in place where we post our possible um, donations on the system and then food banks can claim, claim them. So very often they, they will get claimed by someone in Missouri um, and then the logistics are figured out. But we were not part of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we also I mean, we see we see we have some really big seafood companies in the Midwest who are huge donors around Chicago, Minnesota area. So I like that procedure. It's too, not because, just yeah. coastal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain food banks may not currently have the space for X amount. So to be able to put it through this system and allow them to claim it. So, well, we have the space and in the need. So let's coordinate and get it, get it shipped down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what or they up. do. So I imagine they're pretty efficient at coordinating that kind of stuff and, and figuring out pickups and drop-offs. And Right. I mean, there's a whole, you know, co- complex logistics team at Food Bank and at Feeding America and at mm-hmm. Food Banks generally. Another specific area that SeaShare works on is Alaska. Hunger, of course, is a huge issue in Alaska, um, particularly in rural areas. So we've had a real push over the last few years to increase access to cold storage in Western Alaska and in other parts of Alaska as well. So every year, our goal is to donate 200,000 pounds in Alaska, which is, as you guys know, um, 800,000 servings. Population of Alaska, I believe, is 700 or four. (laughs) (laughs) It's enough for everyone to have at least a bite of salmon or whatever. Um, We've set up cold storage in two towns in Western Alaska, and we're currently setting up cold storage in Juneau, capital of Alaska. We also put a small freezer on St. Paul Island, which is way out in the middle of nowhere, Western Alaska. (laughs) Um, And then every summer, we're able to work with the Coast Guard to send about 15,000, 16,000 pounds of fish up to Nome and Kotzebue, which are in Northwest Alaska. And so those go out to about 30 villages surrounding that area. And that those are, those are donations that can only happen in the summer. So we try to get, we get our freezers up there one season and then the following season we'll, and we'll send them up full. And then the following season we'll, we'll have them refilled by barging stuff up or we'll work with a, a local seafood company in the area who can then just transfer into our into our cold storage there have you done a lot of traveling to see some of the stuff in in the works i have not been to alaska to do that um my boss jim Harmon, our executive director is really focused on that and that that takes a lot of his time and a lot of it is working with the partners in alaska and figuring out the right people because we you know we we don't want to just sort of 
buy something, dump it there and say, okay, see you later. So there's been a, a long kind of multi-year handoff process um, of working, finding the right partners and communities and working with them to then take over the management of mm-hmm. the cold storage and also to use the cold storage for other things. Like it's okay if, you know, if a local food bank wants to use that for other frozen foods mm-hmm. um, and, so, and just having that resource there. It's strange, but Alaska really lacks in cold storage. I know. They didn't bother. There's a joke there, but. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's not. We don't need this. Stick it in the ground. (laughs) So, so, I mean, we're even seeing that in Juneau now. We're we're putting in a a full-size freezer container in Juneau um, in the next couple weeks. And how big is that? Like. Like, like a, like a semi truck, like, like a warehouse. Okay, like a semi truck. Wow. So we've put in like semi truck <clears throat> size a couple of times, and then also a half half semi truck. So that's um, you can f- store a whole lot of food up there. That's, yeah, nice. it's quite a yeah. bit. So that gets that gets families through the winter, and that's the idea. Is you know a lot of the transportation options are really limited um, in winter, and even in the summer, a lot of villages are only accessible by tiny float planes. And mm-hmm. so in the summer, they're sending out little boxes of the in these tiny float planes that get out, and then people can access them throughout the year. Mm. Well, Juneau doesn't have it. I mean, there's roads within the Juneau, but you can only get there by plane, boat, or camel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or narwhal. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Orca. Polar yeah. bear. Orca. <laughs> throw, throw a saddle on a polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of responses have you gotten? Like, have you gotten... Some solid feedback, like showing you that you've positively impacted people's lives. It's really hard for us to sort of track it. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Long-term impact is hard to track because where our seafood is going is kind of erratic depending on needs in that moment and what's available. So we have not been able to long-term track the impact nationally. In Alaska, it would be a little bit easier because we've now been in these communities mm-hmm. for a More while and every year, you know, a certain amount of fish is going out there. But it is hard to track. I mean, in the grand scheme, SeaShare has donated over 220 million servings since 1994. And so, how many people are in the United States? Like 300 million? Yeah. So that's a huge amount. Yeah. But, I mean, not to... I dissuade you, but um, well, there are forty. If there are forty million hungry people in the U.S. and we are feeding eight million servings a year, there's still so much more we could be doing, mm-hmm. and so much more the seafood industry could be doing right. to to fight hunger with us. Yeah, it's not only on SeaShare. <laughs> it's on everyone. Well, and that's the other thing. A lot of our partners will donate directly to food banks they have relationships with and right. just kind of let us know so we can report back and sort of the national on a na- national stage about it. But yeah, many of our partners will just have some smaller donations come in over the course of the year and they just they send those out to local food banks, which is great. I mean, we encourage that. Mm. So since it's National Seafood Month in October, SeaShare is doing something special. And that's why you're on the show. So let's hear about your National Day of Giving. Yeah. So October 16th is a National Day of Giving for SeaShare. And we're actively looking for seafood donations, donation of services, also funds to help SeaShare further our mission of bringing more seafood to food banks across the country. As part of that, SeaShare is working with the National Fisheries Institute's Future Leaders Program to motivate the future leaders 
within the seafood industry to encourage their companies to to give or to give more than they're currently giving. Mm. And so you were a part of the Future Leaders Program this year, right? Yes, indeed. I am a part of the Future Leaders Program and a proud member of the class of 2019. Um, Future Leaders is, uh, I didn't really know what to expect from it. I knew it was this program where you kind of go around the country going to different seafood facilities and you meet with peers from different companies around the country. But it was this fascinating experience. We started in Washington, D.C., and we had a full day of training on advocacy on the Hill. Um, And the National Fisheries Institute did that with us. And then they had organized a full day on the Hill going office to office, meeting with senators and representatives. And and we got split up by our sort of geographic locations. And because he shares base in Washington, I was in the sort of northwest group with Washington and Oregon. And we just had some really amazing meetings, and um, it was very nerve-wracking and very <laughs> exciting at the same time. And it was an amazing way to bond with with people that you really have just met, yeah. you know, for a day before, and you don't really know what to expect. And it's it was an incredible bonding experience, not unlike I don't know orientation in college or this kind of like this mm-hmm. sort of. You know, you're all in it together kind of experience, which was really fun. I can Um, imagine that that would be super empowering, too, to be meeting with the actual senators and representatives. The people who make the decisions. Right. It was. What was that like? Yeah, it was was really fascinating. And so every year the future leaders do this and they advocate on a different topic. And this year's topic was the issue of fishless fish. And mislabeling or misleading labeling around fishless fish, which mm-hmm. is an issue I think you guys are probably well aware of yep. as well. Yeah. Um, can you actually go into that a little bit yeah. for our listeners who might not understand what fishless fish means? <laughs> yeah. So fishless fish is something like tuna, spelled T-O-O-N-A, for example. <laughs> not to <laughs> like <laughs> specify. Tuna, we're not calling you out. but <laughs> Yeah. Tuna, tuna, tuna. Um, it's tuna, not tuna. Tuna. <laughs> Tuna. <laughs> so it's it's uh, vegetable or um, a plant-based fish-like products um, that are supposed to taste like fish. And they're often being placed in supermarkets next to seafood. Um, I was in the supermarket the other day, my just local super- supermarket, and next to the actual cans of tuna were, were some alternative tunas. And it's for... Me, as I can, you know, figure out what's what, and I'm in the industry, so I, I'm pretty educated on it. But I think for anyone who's just ruth- rushing through the store and trying to find something good for their family to eat, they pick it up, they throw it in the cart, they don't really think about it, or they think, I think, oh, cool, this is like some kind of alternative fish. This is great, but they don't realize that a lot of these products have much higher um, salt content, and they are also much lower in protein, and the quality of the protein is a lot lower. So this is what we were talking to the the senators and and everyone about. And so we we went through that, and then a month later, we all met up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, Um, and we took some tours there of various seafood plants, and we really learned about the, the scallop fishery the Cape Cod and and sort of mid-Atlantic scallop fishery, which was very fascinating. Did you go to the whaling museum? We did not. Oh, I know. Out. <laughs> I know. I've been there before. Yeah, we didn't go. But we we got to go on a scallop boat, not out on the, not 
out at sea, but we were on a scallop boat in the harbor. Then we went to a, a scallop auction, which was very interesting. Sort of wow. felt like a, a horse race or something. <laughs> it was just like a computer like, screen and like these guys like clicking in like remotely. Oh, see, I'm picturing guys. like back in time, like the 1930s or 1920s. <laughs> Sold to like, the, pe- the brown hat. People with bowler hats on like right. well, that's, <laughs> holding was, up numbers for It was like that, cows. but the online version. And there's a screen <laughs> showing you like who's bid what and like their are <sighs> bushels being bid on at certain prices. And wow. it was really fascinating. And then we went to a processor to, I to didn't even know that see happened. all that. I didn't yeah. know that that existed right in new bedford and the scallop fishery is booming right now it's really booming so that was fun (laughs) i know yum and we saw a lot of bacon wrapped scallops being made and it was like i'll bid on that was the best part (laughs) i hate scallops (laughs) really yeah um and then our third friends (laughs) (laughs) we're co-workers yeah and then our third trip was out in Portland, Oregon, and we went to um, other processing facilities out there, and that was very interesting. Got a good sort of northwestern perspective. And our last trip was out to Ketchikan, Alaska, where we got to see a hundred-year-old cannery in action, which was really fascinating. And wow. the technology being used really hasn't changed much in a hundred years. It's the wow. same steamer machines they've been steaming the cans in, and that was. <laughs> Amazing, and well, we, if we use this, it doesn't cause botulism. So, <laughs> yeah. why would we change it? <laughs> well, it's pretty basic. It. It's not broke. Uh, and then we also got to go out to an oyster farm where they had oyster sort of tasting and wine nice. and stuff, which was fun. And we also um, got to meet with someone who's starting a kelp farm, the biggest kelp farm in North America. Um, was which it he C- is Seagrove? No, Seagrove. We, yeah, yeah. We spoke with uh, the founder of Seagrove, Mark. Yeah, Mark sure. Yeah, yep. Marcus. Yeah, we've yeah. met with him. We we sat down with him at the seafood, the Boston Seafood Show. Okay. So he was actually one of our first uh, seafood innovations episode. Mm-hmm. So that's cool that you guys got to go see his farm. It was amazing. So they they're not growing anything out at sea yet. It's really they're starting the incubation area um, in a place that they're going to soon outgrow. Mm-hmm. And he has huge plans for it. And it's just, it's really inspiring listening to him talk about it. He's and super passionate about it. Yeah. If it, you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. It's one of the first 10 probably yeah, I, that we released. Uh, I feel we'll like link, we need to take a podcast trip out to Alaska. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll link to that episode in the show notes so people can, can check it out. Yeah, it's a, it's, it was fascinating. So Future Leaders is... Roughly how many months from beginning to end? So it started in May and finished up in August. Um, but then we all have a sort of graduation ceremony in January at the Global Global Seafood Marketing Conference, okay. which will be in Orlando in 2020. Mm. Is there like a final project that you need to do or something? Or? So as, as part of being a future leader, good question, we got split into two separate groups. Uh, one group was looking at the Better Seafood Board um, activities and how to increase their participation. I don't really know. (laughs) Um, And then the other group uh, got placed with SeaShare. And, well, because I work with SeaShare, I am also part of the SeaShare group. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) As is Avery, who works here, yeah. Yeah, we've had a number of people um, from this company participate. And actually, one of the founders of that program is Wally Stevens, who was our CEO for up until the last couple of years. So we have a lot of people that have gone through it and, and finished it, and they just say amazing things about it. Yeah, everyone raves about it. It is. It's it's something 
it, there's something really nice about getting such a random group of people together, like sales guys from Alabama, <laughs> you know, scientists from New Hampshire, you know, it's kind of the whole sort of possible range of people from the industry and getting them together. And we have this thing in common, the industry, but not a lot of other things in common. And it was a great way as an adult to meet people in a different way than than I think we're often able to. Is there a website, like if any of our listeners wanted to learn more, I know that you're not a spokesperson for future leaders, but you've attended and I'm just curious if you knew of maybe a place we could direct some of our listeners if they wanted to dig a little deeper. The National Fisheries Institute has a, a comprehensive website called aboutseafood.com um, and there's a lot of good information there okay. about seafood. What's the time commitment look like for that? Because I've looked into actually mm -hmm. participating in a couple of years, but mm -hmm. I also have two very young children, and I'm concerned about the time commitment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of waited a few years to get into it because I also have two young children. It is about a week, uh, once a month for four months, hmm. but only during work days, you know, only during the week, work week. Okay. So a lot of times you leave for a trip on a Monday evening and you're home by Thursday night or Friday morning. Yeah. yeah. So it's not terrible. Maybe in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> Should have done it two and a half years ago. How old are your kids? I have a two-year-old and a six-month-old. Oh, yeah. I hear you. Babies. I hear you. <laughs> Babies. I, I would actually yeah. get some sleep if I did it, though. That's... I know. It's, well, honestly, it's sort of like a vacation because you're like, wow, what do I do? I can just stay up as late as I want. <laughs> and no one's waking me up in the morning. Um, I like yeah. it. Yeah, it's super fun. So, C-Share, I wanted to – I'm just looking through your annual report from last year, and you guys have gotten a little bit of recognition. You know, I, I asked earlier about if you have – any testimonials or anything about some of the difference that you've made that you know that you've made, but you said you, it's hard to track that kind of stuff. But it says in here that you were selected as a finalist for the SeaWeb Seafood Champion Award in Leadership. Can you talk about that? That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so that's a, a, a global award program, and we were nominated uh, last in 2018 and were finalists. I think we were one of seven finalists. Um, in seafood leadership and got to uh, our executive director got to go to Barcelona um, for that we didn't win but we came close <laughs> it's always next year <laughs> or <Yeah>. this year <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not, but we're not you know we're not in it for like winning awards or whatever it, you know it's kind of a nice thing but you know we're more well, of it's the nice to get recognized when you're doing something yeah good and not just out to make money so yeah i mean we're really kind of a head down just do our thing get our work done get the get as much seafood as we can to feed people the people who need it yeah feed the people for sure so what is uh what if we have listeners that want to be a part of this they want to help out what can they do what's something that they can do to help aid your mission yeah, well, I would say if they're within the seafood industry, I guess take stock and think about what their company um, could possibly do. And it's not just about product donations or cash. Um, you know, if there are services you can provide, we are always open to talking about that as well, whether it's logistics or processing, cold storage. 
um, all of those things, like every piece really matters to us. Um, and we're always looking for new partners. So, you know, reach out about that. And also check out our website. It's www.cshare.org. And there's a great film on, on our website, which tells you a lot about sort of the genesis of C-Share, where it came from, and sort of how we've evolved over the years. Great. And what about people who might not be in the industry, who just have an interest and want to help people? Again, I would say check out our website or check us out on social media. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you see what we're up to. Uh, we try to post every time we make a donation. We'll, we'll post about that and see where it's going and who the donors were. And we're really excited to celebrate you know, every single donation, large or small. Um, so yeah, check us out online. Awesome. And we'll link to all of your, your website, your social media channels in the show notes for anybody that wants to learn more about it. Thank you. So what is, now that we've talked about how people can get involved, what is your, what is C-Share's goal of the day of giving? What's the purpose? What's the mission? And what's, what's the ideal end result of the day of giving? So the Day of Giving um, has two specific goals. Uh, one is we're going to raise $20,000 for hunger relief. And that $20,000 we get to turn into 160,000 servings of seafood. The other goal is 20,000 pounds donated. Um, and we've got some partners lined up who are just about to tell us about those donations, I think. Mm-hmm. But we're still looking for more. So we're, our goal is to, to send 20,000 pounds of product to food banks on behalf of the future leaders class. Awesome. Another thing I'd like to add is that um, our, our focus so far has really mainly been on wild capture. Um, and we're, we're really looking for new partners within the aquaculture space. We realize it's harder sometimes in aquaculture to find that extra. But if there is extra that your companies have, send it our way. We would love to talk to you about it and help it get into get to people who really appreciate a good meal. I'm sure GA would be more than happy to do that. We have worked with you guys in the past. We did the what was the, the campaign that we did around Christmas time a couple of years ago? Yeah, um, I forget what it was called. People can make a donation and it and it helped deliver help finger deliver fi- to... yeah fish from a farm. I don't. We made a video about it. <laughs> we made a lot of videos. <laughs> so hard to keep track. It was like two or three Christmases ago. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know GAA has worked with you before and and seen positive results. So I don't see why that would why they wouldn't be happy to do that. Thank you. All right. That's it. All right. So thank you, Kate, so much for coming on the show and driving all the way down here from Maine. It means a lot to us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me. (laughs) Folks, that was our conversation with Kate Tompkins from C-Share. If you want to learn more about what they're doing or get in contact with her, make sure you check out the show notes. We have all of their contact information, their websites, their social, all that fun stuff right there. Easy for you to click. And if you want to support us, which we know you do because you've listened this far and you're still listening, reach out to us uh, on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And we really want to start more of a community there and get a little more involved with you guys on social media. But if you want to send us a direct message and you don't use Twitter, you can email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or send us a voicemail message by calling one 603 
384-3560. And if you'd like to support the podcast in another way, then you can become a member of GAA on our website, which is aquaculturealliance.org slash membership. Check it out. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Adios.